0: How do you measure a company's commitment to sustainable practices? Then how do you invest in just those businesses that meet and reflect your values via an ETF? One of the world's largest asset managers has been putting a lot of thought into that lately and has some news for investors wanting to ensure they are part of the sustainability transition while also providing their clients with the most cost-effective investment solutions iShares says there are many different ways to incorporate sustainable investing into the core of your portfolio. Indeed, they believe there is an index for every type of sustainable investor. Indexing, the firm says, in fact, is reshaping sustainable investing. And in this podcast series, we'll be finding out how and why. So hello and welcome to the sustainability myth-busting podcast from Citywire in association with iShares. I'm Amy Maxwell, Managing Editor of Citywire Engage, and for this third episode I'll be joined in a moment by Richard Whittaker, Vice President on BlackRock's investment stewardship team. Today we're not in the studio, we're once again in the comfort of our own homes because we're locked down for the second time nationally in the UK due to the coronavirus pandemic. But that's not going to stop us delving into the big issues, issues that have been voiced from the very top of BlackRock at the start of 2020. In his annual letter to CEOs, Larry Fink, BlackRock's CEO, wrote that clients now more than ever are seeking to understand both the physical risks associated with climate change, as well as the ways that climate policy will impact prices, costs and demand across the entire economy. In the near future, and sooner than most anticipate, he believes there will be a significant reallocation of capital, as climate risk is investment risk. So let's delve into this. So sustainable investing has gone from niche to mainstream. And part of Richard's role, as I understand it, is to ensure the transition is as orderly as possible. So hello, Richard. Thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, great to be with you.
0: Now, Richard, if you could explain how you fit into the BlackRock Investment Stewardship Team, or biz team, as it's referred to.
1: Absolutely. So I, as you say, am a part of the BlackRock Investment Stewardship Team, the biz team. And and our role in biz is really an extension of BlackRock's role on behalf of its clients. We have a fiduciary duty to look after our clients' interests in the companies we invest in on their behalf. And we do that by focusing on the issues that are driving the long-term value of those investments. You you mentioned before how Larry's letter started this year laid out our conviction that sustainability integrated portfolios can provide clients better long-term risk-adjusted returns. Investment stewardship is an essential component of our efforts to make sustainability our standard at BlackRock. So who are we? Um, I am one of the sector analysts in investment stewardship, who covers the companies that we invest in on behalf of our clients in the way that a sort of traditional investment analyst might. There are around 50 people in the team globally, in, located in seven locations worldwide. We use this global team with local presence, as we call it, to cover companies across the globe with relevant people covering companies in each of the Americas, EMEA and Asia-Pacific regions. I cover the consumer discretionary and consumer staples sectors in EMEA. Okay, that's the who. Now, let's look a bit of the what. Promoting robust corporate governance has been and remains at the heart of what we do in biz. But the growing materiality of environmental and and social issues, the sort of things Larry mentioned in his letter, is bringing those issues ever higher up the stewardship agenda. Nowhere is that clearer than in relation to climate risk. We see clear evidence that climate risk is investment risk. We can dive more into this as we go along, but the top line is that we in Biz have intensified our stewardship efforts in relation to those sustainability-related risks, using all the stewardship tools available to us. You highlighted we are on a journey to a place where performance on sustainability issues is increasingly recognized in the value of investments. Because of that, it's critical that we, as managers of capital on behalf of our clients, help those clients navigate the journey. I would say we provide that help in two main ways. Firstly, by continuing to increase our understanding of how sustainability related factors can affect investment value. And second, by making this understanding integral to the way BlackRock manages risk, constructs portfolios, designs products, and engages with investing companies. And that final point shows the fundamental role that we in Biz as stewardship plays within that wider drive towards embedding sustainability within the investment process. We need to use our stewardship tools to advocate for robust corporate governance and the sound sustainable business practices that are core to long-term value creation for our clients.
0: Excellent. Okay. And I understand you have three levers um, within that stewardship team to to pull on. That's thought leadership, engagement, and voting. So so let's begin with thought leadership.
1: Well, as you say, thought leadership is, I think, one of the three main tools we use in stewardship. Thought leadership basically means working with regulators, standard setters and other investors across the market to advance consistent best practices in corporate governance, in in company disclosures and, of course, stewardship itself. Shaping global industry standards in a way that promotes sustainable long term value creation. Let me give you an example. BlackRock has for some time now been advocating for more widespread and standardised adoption of sustainability reporting. You mentioned Larry's letter to our investing companies at the start of this year, that was a big plank of that letter. We believe enhanced reporting is critical for companies and investors to properly take into consideration material, environmental, social and governance, ESG, risks and opportunities. To move everyone more towards that goal, we've been asking companies for reporting that's aligned with the recommendations of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures or TCFD for short, and also the metrics identified by the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board or SASB. Key advantage of TCFD and SASB from an investor's perspective is that they're grounded in the language of business, of business planning and operations and they're focused on facilitating disclosures that are financially material and decision useful, fundamentally. So we've been advocating for these frameworks, and and we're now seeing building momentum in them being used by many constituencies across the industry, investors, companies, policymakers. Just the other week, the UK government, for instance, announced plans to make TCFD-aligned disclosures mandatory across the economy by 2025. Add to that the body that oversees UK company reporting, the Financial Reporting Council, the FRC. They also made clear that they want large UK companies to report against the TCFD recommendations and to use the SASB metrics relevant to their sector in their company reporting. So it's great we see this support in the UK, but I would also say we're seeing a much more dramatic increase on a much broader scale in engagement with TCFD and SASB. A lot of that has come since. We included our ask for TCFD and SASB in Larry's letter in January. Some people have called that the BlackRock effect. Um, 1,500 organizations, that's companies, financial institutions, public authorities, they're they're now formal supporters of TCFD. It's far more uh, in a huge increase uh, versus previous years. And by the end of the third quarter this year, more than 400 companies had reported industry-specific mef- uh, metrics by reference to SASB. That's around three and a half times more than in all of 2019.
0: We've covered what's going on. Now let's move on to who you have to speak to and build relationships with to make further progress down the path of sustainability.
1: Well, I would say that the the important uh, aspects, you know, particularly in this idea of thought leadership and trying to drive global standards, it has to be across the market. So it has to be with the Uh, with the the regulators, the standard setters, and other investors. And then obviously that flows down to to the companies themselves in the engagements and voting we have with them. Um, This idea of a sort of a cross-market, you know, very kind of like, you know, taking into account all the different or pieces of the jigsaw. I'd say that's that's really important, has real meaning, particularly for our iShares and our index strategies. Helping to drive the adoption of best practices, of course, crucial part of what we do for all of our clients, but I think it has particular resonance for our index equity clients. And it's an area where I think we have a unique role to play on their behalf, talking to all parts of the market, to, you know, to, to industry standard setters, to industry regulators, all the way down to the companies. Index investors are of course invested for the long-term in the whole market. That means they're exposed to any systemic risks in the market as a whole. And which is, of course, why we're interested in how companies are dealing with those risks. It also means that index investors stand to benefit most from efforts to drive up common standards. When companies across the market are well governed and they're managing systemic as well as idiosyncratic risks, you'd expect that to translate into sustainable long term value creation at an entire index level. And given their investment for the long term across the whole market, index strategies naturally have a particular ability to drive the adoption of better common standards. When we reinforce our support at market level for these frameworks by using our other stewardship tools, particularly engagement and voting, which means following up to understand how companies themselves are meeting our expectations and holding them accountable when they fall short. And when we have the scope to do that across markets and regions, we are seeing firsthand now how this is contributing to companies taking seriously the effect of sustainability risks on their long-term value and doing something about it.
0: We've understood who the important people are to talk to and build relationships with. Let's take that one step further. As we look around the world, how do you deal with different stages of policymaking and development on issues of sustainability? The existence of
1: different regimes, often moving at different speeds, is, I would say, a constant feature of the work that we do. Um, These differences play an important role in how we take forward our our global priorities as a team and determine our voting approach in different places. Let's think about the issue of climate risk that that we started with. In in Europe, the commitment to a just transition to a low-carbon economy is a pretty generally accepted principle and it's enshrined in, in many EU and national regulations. Company boards and management, uh, and society, I would say, across the, across the piece, are mostly aligned on the direction of travel. The debate probably is more around the pace of change, how burdens and benefits should be shared amongst different stakeholders. In the Asia-Pacific region, outside Japan and Australia, company awareness of, you know, of sustainability frameworks like TCFD and SASB they've talked about and the adoption of those is still, I would say, relatively low. Um, we've got in those regions... A lot of controlling owners, particularly state actors, and um, they might have different priorities for companies, and it can be more challenging for minority investor voices to be heard. That said, um, many Asia Pacific companies realise that compliance simply with local regulations may no longer be enough, uh, and, and that large global companies investors expect more. And I think you know we are seeing seeing sort of policy making being an important catalysts for change there as well. We've seen recently landmark net zero commitments from China, from Japan, from Korea, and we're already starting to see this feed into the ambitions of of some of the leading companies in that region. Uh, In the US, again, there are some differences there. There are limited formal requirements for corporate ESG disclosures. There's no formal corporate governance code there, for instance. But again, institutional investors are being heard, we think, by boards and by management. And we're finding that Increasingly, companies are embracing management and disclosure of sustainability risks. And I think the point around you know, getting greater consensus when it comes to the disclosure standards that are use for that should only just accelerate that conversation.
0: Now, let's move on to the other levers that you have to pull on in terms of raising standards through engagement and voting.
1: Well, I'd say in addition, obviously, you know, to the, to the thought leadership to advance consistent best practices across the market we've talked about. You know, I'd say the, the the two other key stewardship tools we have are engagement and voting. Engagement is how we build our understanding of a company's approach to governance and sustainable business practices. It's how we communicate our views and ensure that companies understand our expectations. Now, this year at BlackRock within BAS, we had more than 3,000 engagements with around 2,000 companies. That was a record for us, an increase of more than 50% versus the previous year. So that's one way. And, And of course, voting is the other tool. It's how we hold companies accountable when they fall short of our expectations. Voting action generally takes two forms. We might vote against directors or other proposals put forward by management, or we might vote to support a shareholder proposal.
0: So the biz team has certainly been busy. A fifty percent increase in engagements. I mean that that is this, it, the amount of work that's going into this is really borne out in that in that data.
1: Absolutely, and and you know I mentioned before that we have around fifty people in the team. We you know that that's one of the largest, if not the largest, uh team. Uh, in, in the industry, and and with having you know people based across the different regions, the different offices, we do feel that we are able to you know to really bring to bear you know our resources, uh, and and you see that as you say through the number of engagements, and the number of companies that we've been able to engage with.
0: I mean, personally, on a personal level, level, do you feel that it's really stepped up in the past kind of year?
1: Absolutely, and and I think that's you know a reflection of these you know, the, the, this growing sense of materiality of issues beyond the sort of kind of sort of traditional governance G conversations that that these uh, stewardship engagements have often taken in the past, the real increase in the importance of the E and the S and the growing materiality of, of those issues to companies' long-term value has, has, has meant, you know, just a natural step up and an, an acceleration intensification of the work that we do.
0: Let's dive deeper into some of those engagements so that our listeners can really understand what does go into an engagement what does it actually mean can you perhaps give me an idea of some of the things that you might have opposed
1: we set out to lay out clear expectations our investee companies that match the importance of the issues to long-term value creation we publish a lot of material on our website setting out our expectations and our perspectives on these key governance and sustainability topics and they include region specific proxy voting guidelines, which outline our approach to the various items we ordinarily get to vote on at company meetings in the different regions. When it comes to voting, we see votes against directors in particular as a really important mechanism for signalling our concerns when companies are not making enough progress on those governance and sustainability topics. It's a tool, director, vote, yeah, director elections, it's a tool um, available to us in virtually every market we invest in on behalf of our clients. And our data tells us that voting against directors is effective. To give you a tangible example, the analysis we've done indicates that in around 80% of cases, our votes against directors in the FTSE 350 in relation to executive pay concerns resulted in improvements within 12 months so that gives you a tangible sense of you know what we see as being a really effective way for us to target our you know the way we raise concerns we opposed the uh, the election or re-election of more than 5000 directors globally governance concerns drove most of those votes and i'd highlight probably four key issues that we focused on first uh, a lack of director independence this is a particular problem in controlled companies i'd say outside the US and the UK uh, second we targeted poor board diversity. Third, we targeted uh, we targeted directors being overcommitted, meaning that they have too many directorships. That's a concern that's been strengthened, I would say, by COVID, as companies were all forced into crisis mode all at the same time this year. And finally, the fourth I'd mention is is a misalignment between executive compensation and company value creation. We see that as being a topic that directors should be particularly focused on, and we'll hold them accountable when they're not.
0: And how do you ensure consistency in the measures you take to to kind of bring these companies in line? Um, is it is the same logic applied to both your passive and active strategies within BlackRock? Um, is there a difference there?
1: I think there are naturally always some sort of you know, some nuances and, and particularly, I would say, regional nuances in, uh, in the approach that we take. But on many, many issues, our expectations are broadly consistent across regions and are applied consistently across all our investments, whether in index or actively managed strategies. It's something we're able to articulate and then subsequently implement because of how we're set up in the investment stewardship team. It's our role to coordinate all the proxy voting we do on behalf of clients. So it enables us to take that consistent view and to apply it consistently.
0: I mean, that's an interesting point that you raised there in terms of having this this proxy hub at at BlackRock. So if you could explain to me how that works, because I I get the I get the sense that you are a key unit, which all decisions kind of pass through. So that must help with consistency.
1: Absolutely. So we have deliberately set uh, up the you know the, the the function in the way we have for a few different reasons i think you know there are there are good sort of conflict management reasons for having us sort of separate and 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 sort of you know directing things from you know from a particular sort of you know, particular unit as, as you said um, but fundamentally what we want to do through our work is to 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 be able to sort of voice a consistent message to our to our companies And to set, you know, where we can and where it it makes sense, consistent expectations of them by having a single unit that's, you know, what we call a sort of central clearinghouse for those conversations and then the votes that sort of, you know, the votes that are extension of the engagements that we have, you know, we feel that's a really important way for us to to be able to, to achieve that. And as I said, we publish a lot of material on our website setting out these perspectives and expectations that we have. And, you know, An important part of that are the the region-specific proxy voting guidelines that we set up. We we do want companies and, of course, our clients to have a good sense of how we view these issues that typically come up and that we get to vote on. And by having those and by setting those up in the way that we do, it gives a natural consistency to the way that we approach each and every
0: company meeting. Are there any patterns perhaps that you're seeing by sector, maybe in areas which are undergoing rapid change as we're seeing right now you know we're seeing a digital digitalization of the whole economy and that is shaking up industries all over the place so um i imagine decision making within those sectors is is quite rapid fire um uh, how are you i mean what are you witnessing in terms of decision making and and how was maybe COVID-19 accelerated some of the decision making?
1: The most obvious example is I think the one you started with, with the issue of climate change, particularly with companies in carbon intensive sectors where climate change poses the greatest material risk uh, to our clients' investments. Engagement for us remains a crucial tool here. It helps us fundamentally understand the approach that companies are taking and to assess how companies are progressing and we see that You know, in these particular sectors, the pace of change and the direction that they need to go in, you know, their plans and our our ability to understand those plans and assess how they're progressing is crucial. Fundamentally, we expect companies to have a credible plan for how they're managing climate risk. And as I said before, for that to be aligned with the TCFD framework, we want to understand their governance, their approach to risk management, their strategy for, 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 for managing the, you know, the, the journey towards a low carbon economy and the targets they've set for themselves in order to get there. This year, our team you know, significantly ramped up our climate related engagements with companies in carbon intensive sectors. In the 12 months to June this year, which is our sort of latest reporting period, we had more than 1200 engagements with companies on environmental topics, including climate risk. That was an increase of nearly 300 percent compared to the previous year.
0: So you mentioned there a three hundred percent increase in in engagement. So on your side, you're you're you know you are doing an incredible amount of work to to ensure that the companies you're investing in are on the right track. Now, do you think that the companies um, themselves are, are moving fast enough? What's your what's your perception there?
1: This year is a great time to sort of take take a step back and try try to assess that the pandemic has demonstrated what it's like to face the crystallization of a major systemic risk that very few market leads anticipated or took any real steps to prepare for. I mentioned, you know, it's brought a range of social and economic issues to the forefront, challenging the sustainability of lots and lots of business models. Now our conversations with companies have touched on how a purpose-driven response to and a recovery from the pandemic can help to preserve things like their social license to operate and to enhance their long-term value. You see that through a variety of different things, I would say, a strong investment in their people or doubling down in their commitments, say to, to support their stakeholders throughout their supply chain. And that's consistent with some very long held views as our CEO Larry Fink wrote in his 2018 letter to companies, without a sense of purpose, no company can achieve its full potential. What's perhaps increasingly clear and has become increasingly clear this year is the evidence supporting that conviction. Investor interest in sustainable investing strategies has significantly accelerated this year. And we expect that trend to continue. Companies that fail to respond risk facing increasing market skepticism and probably over time a higher cost of capital how are companies responding well many of these issues are already on board's agendas what we as investors can do now of course is work to keep them there and you know we do that by continuing to prioritize them in our investment activities particularly our stewardship activities and we will look to company leaders fundamentally to take decisions around sound governance, sustainable business practices that will continue to lead to long-term value creation on behalf of our clients. We will engage where it matters most, focusing on financial materiality and business relevance. And of course, we'll continue to ground our analysis and our voting decisions on achieving the outcomes most aligned with our clients' long-term economic interests as shareholders. Do we see evidence that companies are responding to that? I think, I think we do. And you know, the job for us as investors now, as I say, is to continue to keep those issues on their agendas, to keep engaging with them and obviously holding them to account through our voting decisions where we see a misalignment. And we see that as being the way to continue driving progress here.
0: Richard, thank you. It's very clear that um, climate risk certainly is translating into investment risk and uh, BlackRock and uh, iShares you are doing your utmost to ensure that the companies you invest in are aware of that (laughs) so thank you very much for laying out uh, all of your insights with us
1: today Great to talk to you, thanks Amy